Have you ever been in a class or a training seminar where you were just plain lost, didn't understand the material, but you were too afraid to even know where to begin to ask a question? I felt like that. Day one in high school physics. Brain jam. Couldn't even get through chapter one without after-school tutorial. I dropped the class by week two. The church in our current culture is also suffering great waves of dropouts. Young and old alike no longer know or understand the textbook of Scripture or the worship and the liturgy of our traditions. And professional church leaders mistakenly try just more of the same methods, maybe louder, maybe more often, to reach people. Things that used to work in the former glory days of our tradition, but don't anymore. It's like trying to sing along to a song you've never heard or practiced. You miss the message. It's that way for me with a popular movie. All children and all parents have seen at least a hundred times Frozen. I have iPhone pictures of our granddaughter, six years old, standing on a chair with her costume on, singing at the top of her lungs all the words to that main character's song, Let It Go, Let It Go, with hand gestures and costuming. She never tires of it. I have not still seen the movie. They have brought it over to our house several times. I just haven't sat down to see it. I do not know more than those three words of that song. Hard to imagine, I know. So I have no context, nonetheless, for the storyline of the movie, the life-shaping message that it seems to offer. Same thing for unchurchified people. We veterans assume they get it when they hear us all singing along on Sunday mornings, But less and less people know the storyline, the context of Jesus' story at all. The church symbols and the colors that we use of the church season or other parts of our worship and confession, things like sharing the peace, they don't understand what it means, shaking hands in the middle of the service. So in a busy, information-rich society, Opportunities galore, something has to go from our schedules. And most often, sadly, for, for so many, church is the one that gets the delete button on the agenda. It doesn't feed me. It doesn't make sense. I don't get anything out of it. Our gospel from Mark today shows Jesus having disciples in a sort of seminar themselves. He's predicting his passion story for the second time. Last week, it was, <clears throat> you know, who do, I say, who do you say that I am? And then he gave the passion prediction. He'll be betrayed into this time human hands, a little change from last week. He'll be betrayed into human hands, killed, and after three days, rise again. Then comes something 
we and newcomers can relate to. The disciples did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Afraid to ask him. The gospel then continues on the road to Capernaum in a house. The disciples had been arguing this time about who was the greatest among them. You know, who was, who was the one who had Jesus' ear the most? Who was the one who knew how to raise money for their journey and escapades? Who was the best businessman or fisherman? Who had connections or got the most praise from the teacher, the most eye contact? Jesus must have overheard the bickering just a little bit on the road and asked them, so what were you arguing about along the way? What were you talking about back there? But now, they remain silent again, caught in the act, no discussion, which prompts Jesus to offer another lesson on the kingdom of God. He is bringing us all this kingdom, you see. And children, he says now, at the end of this reading, children are the centerpiece. Children who, as you know, in Jesus' day were unimportant, pushed aside, unworthy of any attention or special favor. There were others in that day also treated like children, lepers, Refugees, the mentally ill, the poor, women, beggars, shepherds, widows. You see, there was no middle class in Jesus' day. There was just the very entitled and very rich, and then the poor, unlike our society. And Jesus is saying, therefore, in his kingdom, the poor and the outcasts are the ones who should be first in the seats of honor. The lepers and the demon-possessed will be the first ones the followers should welcome. And in doing so, they will welcome Christ and his Father. So, it's been a long time since I've done this, but I thought it was a good day to turn this space this morning into a classroom of sorts and have a little give and take. This is where you all seize up. So please, if you wouldn't mind, bravely take out those orange slips that you've set aside or put in your pockets or put in your purse. And what I want you to do is on these are some very curious little uh, parable-like things that are written by Lutheran pastor Herb Brokering long, long ago. And they are probably going to strike you like the parables struck the disciples. Huh? And and that's okay. What I'd like you to do is... um, if this side over here would take page 51, you see the little square at the bottom has a 51, and on the other side, 27 is on this side. What I'd like you to do is take a, a minute or two to just read it to yourself. You only have to do one. You know, it's the only one of them. Unless you're accelerated students, you can do them both. And then what I'd like you to do is, after you've thought, huh, then just turn and talk to somebody next to you. You don't have to get in a big group of six, but <clears throat> some of you are isolated So you might have to just turn around or at least share. What do you think this has to do with anything in uh, a modern disciple's job description? Um, what What is the author trying to say about following Jesus in everyday life? How does it, how does it come out? 
So I'll give you a few seconds here to get started, and then we'll see what the eager students have to say. Okay. Now that the sound's picking up, I thought you must be working on something. And there's a lot of good laughter, which is kind of fun. So you can stay with your groups if you want, but what, let's see. We'll start with, let's start with the, the left side over here. And uh, we'll read it out loud because those who might be hearing the sermon on tape have no idea what we're talking about. So, okay. This is the little parable. Once there was a minister who wore a cross and went to where there was a war. He got permission to risk his life and hold church in the front line. He hopped from hole to hole, hugging the soldiers. He never stayed more than 30 seconds. It was the only way he could get in all the services. And one day, he held 246 services that way. He never said a single word. Students, what is this all about? Anybody? Here you are. I think this is on. Away you go. I think church is what you, what you can make it be. Whether it's long or it's short, it's the meaning that is inside of it. And however many people's lives you touch. Okay, that's good. That's good. Okay, anyone want to add to that? Uh, I, I think it uh, represents how we can represent God in our actions. Okay, representing God in our actions. Okay, all right. In the foxholes of life, anyone else? Any military people have any insights? Oh, you don't have to use words. Oh, that's good, yeah. Actions speak louder, they say, somewhere along the line. Then Okay, if you give a hug. And what's the condition of these people, particularly? Yeah, their, li- their life's on the line, right? They're right there. And what does he do in order to be one with them? He risks his own life. Uh-huh, yep, risks everything. Okay, let's go on this side and see. Anybody here have a startling revelation from this? I'm going to read it so that the people who may be listening in online um, can hear it. Once there was a church that didn't have a cross in it, the building committee told them they could save $100 that way. Instead, they each have learned to make the sign of the cross with their fingers. They have learned to make the sign over bread and water and over each other and babies. Now, instead of one cross, they have hundreds of them. And the message is, what do we learn about our discipleship in the world? Who this is? Is this the quiet group? No. Oh, okay. We, we oh, wait, here you go. Here you go. You don't really need, like, money or a building with a fancy cross to have church. Like, church can be what you make it. And making the sign of the cross can show people that you're a Christian. So you don't have to spend money or anything like that to go to church. You can still get your faith how you need it. I can also explain instantaneous velocity if you'd like, since you probably missed that. Instantaneous velocity. Oh, in physics? Thank you. I'll do that after the service. Anyone in this highly populated area? Okay. But no one knows what this building is, and why should they stop and go into it? Aha. Uh-huh. So I think a cross does identify what that building is and where those people are. Ah, the question becomes, are the people only inside the building? Because if they're only inside the building, 
and nobody knows what it is, then will the cross alone draw people in, do you think, if they don't know what it means? I mean, the, the issue in our society, I think, is that they, a less and less people know the symbols, less and less people know the story or the passion prediction or what it means that Jesus is teaching in parables. And so um, we become sort of the, uh, the gospel as we live our lives in the, in the foxholes, metaphorically, of life where people are risking their lives with the refugee situation and Syria. Every day we look at that situation and think, what, what would we do if we were there with them? What could we do? Um, and how bold are we in, once we leave the place with the cross on top, to go and be, you know, obvious in the world as to who is the head of our lives and why. So if we're going to try to turn around, I think, our society's downward slide of church, we all need to embody more and more the message. Um, Yes, get refueled here, but also go out and try to become that message to the world and in a cruciform way, that is uh, a sacrificial way that may cost us, but that we are, are giving of ourselves as Christ did Um, and that we can ask questions. I think when people don't understand anymore, they just don't, they're they're embarrassed because we're an information society, so you're supposed to Google everything, right? But um, uh, Caroline Lewis, who teaches preaching, says, the courage to ask, the courage to ask, which the disciples did not have in this passage, is a mark of discipleship. Jesus never assumes that we are going to know and understand everything he is saying. He is so thrilled that we would ask questions. We engage him as the teacher. And so today's parable, or this this, uh, scripture text today, is an image of the disciples arguing about the wrong thing, right in his presence. Who's the greatest among us? Who's the most important? Well, he's talking about sacrificing his life and dying on the cross. They're missing it, but they don't ask. They don't ask the question. So I want you to be free to ask questions. That was my exercise today, and to learn. Because this classroom exercise was a little exercise in coloring outside the lines of our usual church expectations for the sermon. It's kingdom work, you see. Don't be afraid to ask questions about anything when you're not understanding it here. It's what Jesus hopes for. It's a sign of interest and discipleship. It's a sign we are eager students. Thanks for being good students this morning and doing this exercise. In Jesus' name, amen.